Now, here's your host, Bible teacher, writer, broadcaster, and lover of God, Kaz Taylor. Hello, how are you on this beautiful Saturday? And you go, well, it's beautiful in some counts. In other ways, it's not so beautiful. We're going to show you how it is beautiful in every way and always when you have your focus in the right place. Kaz here. Good to have you with us on this Come Together San Diego broadcast. I've been excited about this broadcast for some time because it includes one of my favorite people on the easterly coastline. His name is Bill Neesmith. And uh, uh, in the studio, I have... uh, uh, engineer Chris working the buttons back there, and producer Neil also working the buttons, and uh, prayer warrior Linda Sellers working some things uh, on her knees, praying and interceding. So we're in a good place to launch out. Bill Neesmith, how you doing? I'm doing good, Kaz. I hope you're doing good as well. Not only good, but also, is this a word, anticipatory? I'm ex- I'm expectant. Yeah. And, not necessarily in a bridal way, but I'm, or maybe we'll see based on your teaching, um, or, or, but I am expecting God to intervene in the challenges of the world, and uh, I'm excited to have you on, Bill Neesmith, because you're going to give some other reasons why it is so valid to be able to be expectant for what God is going to do, because he's done it in the past, he'll do it in yep. these days, and he'll do it in the future. Isn't that right, That's Bill Neesmith? Absolutely, and he's also sovereign, so he has full control. I agree with you. Couldn't agree with you more. Now, my listening friend, we're going to go through some hefty stuff that uh, Bill Neesmith has to share, and I'm going to ask him to walk slowly because, you know, I know the listeners here on KPRZ love God, and uh, they might have different frames of reference. So if that's you, we're going to try to walk slowly, but also walk rapidly enough to get at least an adequate amount of stuff done in the two hours of this broadcast. Uh, Bill, why don't you first give us a little overview of who the Bill Neesmith is? Well, uh, that could range from my education, my experience, or my grandchildren. (laughs) Well, interested Um, in the the ministry background that you have, (laughs) uh, you are. See, I'm going to have to get even with you on that one. But anyway, (laughs) so, Uh, well, I have uh, been in Go ahead. ahead, No. Well, I've been in ministry. uh, I've been a Christian since 1980. Uh, Got got saved and uh, accepted the Lord on Capitol Hill, believe it or not, mm. uh, in Washington, D.C. Um, I've been an ordained minister since 88, uh, planted churches, worked for some very uh, incredible ministries, uh, done a lot of things, uh, finished my doctoral thesis this past year, and uh, got that all finalized. It's been a really good, busy year for us, even when COVID was hitting. I, I understand that. But you talk about Washington, D.C., so that's close to your heart. You've been 12 years working with the Congress in Washington, D.C. Is that Was that uh, much of that tied to the Oak Initiative, where you kind of led that on behalf of uh, that ministry back in the Carolinas? Uh, no, actually, the Oak Initiative, probably my involvement with the Oak Initiative stemmed out of my uh, heart for this country uh-huh. and uh, my understanding of God's kingdom and how it operates and my activities on Capitol Hill. I worked uh, 11 years there, for uh, one for the Senate Computer Center and one for House Information Systems. A lot of interaction. I had a Christian Bible study on, on, the, on the House on Congress side for a number of years, and uh, that was very uh, challenging but very fruitful. When you look back at your interaction and relationship in Washington, D.C., the U.S. 
capital, and you see the things that are going on here. You know, God is not uh, ignorant of uh, nations and capitals and uh, leaders of leaders and politicians and politics and things like that. In fact, he, you know, we think we're stirring things up from a political or any other uh, uh, perspective, but God goes, you can do all your stirring, but I'm, I'm in control of the poor. <laughs> Yep. So, so yep. I know this has got Absolutely. to, in one way, thrill you, but another way, you have great reverence for the things that are going on because God's intervening, not only in America, not only in Washington D.C., but He's intervening throughout the earth. Bill, one of the scriptures that you and I love, and I'm going to just start it out, and I'm going to hand the baton to you. It's found in the book of Ecclesiastes, and it says, "That which was is, and that which is will be, because there's nothing." new under the sun. And, and I, as I look through the material you're going to be sharing, I'm going, this man understands the uh, ongoing character, the repeating character of God. And uh, you used that knowledge in your doc, uh, doctoral uh, presentation. And I guess we're going to be hearing pieces of that. Give an overview of what, what our listening friends are about ready to hear, but what that might mean for them today, Bill Neesmith. Well, uh, just as in a kind of an introductory kind of a fashion, uh, in 2013 and 15, in that general area, I was preparing to do a study on um, charismatic and Pentecostal history, and I did some research. It was kind of starting out. I was, again, in the midst of a church plant in Savannah, Georgia at the time, Um, again, like you're doing here, speaking to a broad range of people. so I was trying to wrap my head around what the Lord wanted me to share. And I felt like he was saying, um, well, he drew, I hesitate to say I feel like he said, because sometimes our thoughts are what they are. But then yes. you can have a thought that comes out of left field. It was not your own. Um, I heard him say, I heard a voice, I heard an inkling say, as it was in the days of Noah, and he highlighted the 120-year reference when the Lord said, I will not tolerate man for more than 120 years. And I felt him say, when I was looking at uh, the present, what's what's called the foundational point of uh, the Pentecostal movement was in uh, Topeka, Kansas in 1901, I felt like he said, what happened 120 years before that? using that 120 reference. It came up with a date, and he provoked me to continue back another 120 years, and I, I found some more things that were significant. <laughs> and, and he provoked me one more time uh, to go back another 120 years, and I found something significant in that year as well. And, and that is what we're going to cover tonight, as well as a few other things. But in that, uh, one is what did I find in each one of those years, how it speaks to us today, and what does it mean uh, for us and what we can learn. The one significant thing is what we may end up on at the end. I may share my points of view. But 120 years from 1901 is this year. Say that again. Uh, my listening see, friend, are you are you familiar with what he's talking about there? The, the great uh, charismatic or Pentecostal movement, is that what I'm understanding from you, Bill? Exactly. 120 yep. years yep. to now. <laughs> yeah, 120 years from today. As if the, if the Lord were to say, look back 120 years from now, I would have run into 1901, New Year's Eve in that year, in Topeka, Kansas, oh, in my. what ended up being 
the roots of the Azusa Street Revival, the roots of the Welsh Revival, the roots of everything we know today as Pentecostalism. My William Seymour. And he then provoked me to go 120-year segments back four different times. Oh, my. One of the things, you know, I was pondering, because I was excited about this. I, when you talked about uh, the continuing uh, ongoing cycle of, of God and the way that he communicates, you know, I look at feasts and festivals, and let me overlay that right now, my friends. What we are right now is very much in the middle of the month of Tammuz, uh, actually the middle of the, the entry of the month of Tammuz. Uh, it's, it actually started a few days ago. But this is the time frame when the children of, of Israel were uh, building the— uh, let me let me go back. Let me go back a little different history because that'll may confuse you. This uh, was the um, the time frame when the twelve tribe, twelve leaders of the tribes, went in to spy out the land. We're in about the third or fourth day of that journey back there. And when I talk to Bill, I'm going. And what he has done, he's taken these. God uses the times and the seasons to communicate His truth. So I'm going. God's, you've used me to communicate things about feasts and festivals. You've used Bill to talk about this 120 years and the, the times of Noah. We're going to have a lot of things in common. And I, I, this was just to tell you, my friend, you have a lot of things in common, even though you don't know it. But God has been communicating you cyclically in your own life. And uh, maybe you're going to have some revelation uh, ignited in your own heart and mind as Bill goes further. Why don't you give us about a 60-second uh, tease on the things we're going to be sharing in the remainder of this two-hour period, uh, Bill, and then we will take a commercial break, and then we will launch out. Okay. Okay, Yes, thanks, Haz. Uh, If you've got a piece of paper, get it out, (laughs) Uh, because you're going to find out how these 120-year segments, I'm going to give you the years. I'm going to give you what I believe each one of those years shows us. It's going to start out with a warning and the sovereignty of God. It's going to then go into provocation, and then it's going to go into a surrender, then an infilling, and then what I believe is a time of repentance and an awakening that's going to change the course of history forever. My, my. And, Bill, you said change the course of history forever. We are on the precipice of that, are we not? Yes, we are. Right now. So, my listening friend, if your heart of hearts is gone, you know, I'm not sure what God has in store for me. It's crazy times out there. Just rest assured that God knows, and he also has a plan for you not to be a spectator, but to be a participant. And Bill Neesmith and I are going to talk to you about that when we come right back. This is Come Together San Diego, the live local show on K-Praise. More Come Together San Diego is just moments away. Now, more of Come Together San Diego, the live local show on K-Praise. Here's Kaz Taylor. Well, I think uh, Bill Neesmith on the East Coast in the Carolinas uh, has whet your appetite, his background and his love for Scripture, but uh, his involvement with ministry and face-to-face involvement with, and heart-to-heart involvement with other people is captivating as well. Bill, it's really good to have you, and you have dropped the enticement to us, and we're excited to have you fill in the blanks as we talk about God's repetitive heart cry, uh, particularly as it relates to, as you said, as it was in the days of Noah was the launch pad for you, and then you noticed the cyclical 120 years happening then, yesterday, today, and even into the future. And so we're excited. Our listening friends uh, are excited to hear you extrapolate a little further on that so that they can get up to date with what's happened so they can know perhaps what's happening now and into the future. Bill Neesmith. Thanks, Kaz. Uh, You know, Scripture tells us, Proverbs 25, 2, in whatever translation you choose to read, 
um, Darby's literal says, it is the glory of God to conceal a thing or to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of kings or the kingly at heart is to search out is to search out a thing. Wow. Uh, the meaning of that is, you know, God's going to hide things from us to get us to look. He's going to provoke us to do something uh, to search it out. And it, and what he tells us is it is the glory of a kingly nature to search those out. Yes. Um, go ahead. No, I was just listening to you. I'm, I'm, I'm inspired about this. And I, I, all the time, Bill, when I, we talk with our Come Together San Diego audience, I always try to bring something in that says, and this is for you to use as ammo for your today and your tomorrow. But we need to let people know that God has a, personal relationship with each of us and he uses different ways to communicate his, his truth if you have had a friend for many many years you know their characteristics so when you hear somebody say a word or a phrase or act a certain way you go that is in keeping with this person's character and personality god does the same thing with us he we know him even though we may not realize how much we know him but when we when we begin seeing things happen in a certain way we can go that's god's character and he will always show himself to you using his character for you to know more about him and oftentimes he uses the things to which you are familiar particularly the godly things that he will make himself known to you so bill these kind of things are are part of bill's heart cry <laughs> to pr- pursue God and his character. He may use something different. He used you know, fishing terms to the fishermen. He used legal terms to the uh, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, uh, you know, and he used farming terms to others. So listen to what Bill says and see what kind of communication and terms God is going to communicate to you about what Bill is unraveling now. Bill? Good. Thank you, Kaz. Um, one thing you'll notice as we speak tonight is I believe in creative redundancy. Um, you're going to hear me say a few things because it, it serves the purpose of laying a foundation. Um, you heard me say that I was studying the history uh, when I was uh, preparing a message and a series on uh, the birth and the significance and the origins of the Pentecostal movement and also the differences between Pentecostalism and char- uh, charismatic prayer. So I was looking at that, and I have a high regard for history because God does things in history for two reasons. One, because he can. I mean, he lives outside of time. He's timeless. He's eternal. He's omnipresent, meaning everywhere. He's omniscient, means he knows everything. And he's uh, omnipotent, means he is boundless in his power. So as if he could stick his finger into time, and stop or start or change or move or do anything he sees fit. Another awesome thing about God is he knows the beginning or the end from the beginning. You know, for us, we say, I think I'm going to start out on my journey today, and I'm going to go to across the country. Uh, We cannot control every stoplight, every gas station, every hotel we stop in, (laughs) or how often or where we get hungry. But God knows everything. So, because I appreciate your comment before the break, for people, if you if you if you're not sure where you're going, if if life is a little crazy right now, and and uh, for the most part, in a vast amount of uh, of the world now, uh, in an increasing amount of the world now, anyway, we're in a post-COVID arena. I mean, yes, people are still uh, 
dealing with some grave issues, but that that uh, is changing. So our life has changed. But if, if you think or you wonder, where's God, I can guarantee you he's right behind your shoulder. He's 10 steps ahead of you. He's your rear guard. He's the one right next to you. He is so profoundly sovereign, and we're going to see that tonight. For me to be able to look back at 120-year sequences simply because I heard a word, I did not think of that. I did not know what I would find. I did not go looking to find something particular. But when he said, like, like Proverbs 25, 2, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of kings or the kingly or the noble to search them out. Mm. And that's all I did. All right, well, I kind of feel like I hear, as in the days of Noah, I'll, I'll share next of what, what I think that means. Uh, then I heard the 120, and I'll get into what those what those years are. Uh, Kaz, feel free to jump into here, but I'll keep on if you don't No, No, I, I, I'm enticed. Uh, you know, when Bill said I, he wanted to talk about it as it was in the days of Noah, it's so funny because I've been studying that as well, and I thought we were going to parrot one another, and then I realized that what God gave him is completely, it's not different in character and presentation, but it's different in, 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 in content. Uh, so God stirred him into the 120s. God stirred me into the months and the Hebrew years and those things as well. But the truth of the matter is God may stir you in a different direction, but it's all the same God stirring his people in areas that they have a level of comfort or confidence in. And all of a sudden his revelation happens and I can connect with Bill and he can connect with me and he broadens my perspective and perhaps I can broaden his. And all of a sudden it's a better deal when we're walking side by side. Same thing with you, my listening friend. Go ahead, Bill. Uh, I love love the idea about as it was in the days of Noah. We've got about three or four minutes, by the way. Oh, yes. Uh, let me just jump in. I, I, the last time you heard you mentioned the, the seasons and, the, and uh, the feast and those kind of things, it's, it, it struck me because I want to cover one thing we're going to talk about tonight is that intricately tied to every one of these five sequences of 120 years is a tie to Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah happens around uh, late September, September October. Uh, yes, uh, into October. And you're going to find, after we get done, and again, if you've got a piece of paper, I'm going to give you the dates for Rosh Hashanah in that particular year. And you're going to see that in, in many ways, Rosh Hashanah is alignment. You'll also know if you know, uh, if you do some research on Rosh Hashanah, it's, uh, it starts in the beginning of Tishri. Uh, it's interesting that the very last one I find actually took place on Tishri 1, the first day of Tishri. Mm. The, the, the significance of Rosh Hashanah is it is believed to be, uh, Tishri also is believed to be the beginning, oh my. the day that God created all things. In the beginning, God. Mm. Um, so when we look at Rosh Hashanah, it is a beginning of God doing something new. Uh, it's a very profound event. That is remarkable. Uh, Go ahead, yeah. Bill. No, well, I, I'm just looking back because it's funny because we're looking from uh, different binoculars, but we're seeing the same thing and we're interpreting it a little bit different, but we're coming to the same conclusions. In fact, when you told me right. about your dates, I'm going, God gave me those dates as well. But uh, right. one of the things that happened just the most recent uh, Rosh Hashanah, and actually Rosh Hashanah, um, the the Feast of Tabernacles begins with the Feast of Trumpets, which is Yom Teruah, and then it leads into the Day of Atonement. From the Day of Atonement, the, the actual festival and Feast of Tabernacles, this is the highest 
uh, month of celebration in the Hebrew calendar. But also, if you want to go back to the most recently, the 2020 uh, Feast of Trumpets and Day of Atonement and um, Feast of Tabernacles was, let's just say, uh, this was the time frame when the Abrahamic Accord was signed. This is the, 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 the time when that the uh, Supreme Court justice passed away. This was the time that all different kinds of things uh, opened up in the United States and the world. So pay close attention to God's timetables and his dates, as Bill will share more with you now. Yes, uh, I do want to start out, too. Uh, in the in the reference to as it was in the days of Noah. Yes. Now, there you can read in Genesis uh, about what what it was like to live in those days. You can also look at in the in the uh, the Gospel of Luke, where it's it's where it's said in in chapter seventeen, starting at verse twenty six. Starts out and says, "Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also it will be in the days of the Son of Man." The Son of Man is refers to the days of the Son of Man, or is the return of the Christ uh, to to come back and bring some pretty awesome changes to the world. <laughs> Uh, it says people were eating, drinking, marrying, and and giving, being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. There's another section in Scripture, and I'll cover that in the next section, but it talks about the level of depravity that was taking place. And truly, the biggest significant event is that the people did not care. Because Scripture says that Noah was a righteous man, but when he came and gave a message of God's warning, the edict against that culture, against the people around Noah, was that they did not listen. They did not care. They wanted nothing to do. Doesn't that sound like, in some respects, oh, absolutely. our ambivalence that we see from the world in what has been deemed a post-Christian era? Yes, yes, yes. Bill, my friend, if you heard what he said there about comparing the days of Noah to right now and the disparity and also the... Uh, uh, lack of uh, lack of God sensitivity. We're, we're going to talk about that uh, in the next segment because Bill, uh, he's he's wet the appetite of me, and I know many of our listeners are, are appetites are wet as well as we talk about as the day as it was in the days of Noah, my friends. So shall it be in these days. We're going to explore those things and how 120 year uh, cycles all tie in with this when the growing friend and friendship with Bill Neesmith continues. You're listening to Come Together San Diego, the live local show on K-Praise. Don't just listen to it. Be a part of it at 866-577-2473. You're just moments away from more Come Together San Diego on K-Praise. Now, more of Come Together San Diego, the live local show on K-Praise. Here's Kaz Taylor. Hello, my friends. Back with Bill Neesmith, a remarkable guy, co-founder of Harvest Light Ministries, uh, worked for a dozen years connected to the U.S. Congress in Washington, D.C., administrator of the Oak Initiative, uh, helped plant churches. But uh, more than that, he is a friend of God, and and, uh, he listens to what God has to say, and he is willing to share his revelations. And my listening friend, he's in the midst of sharing some revelations with you and I as though we were understanding more deeply the phrase as it was 
in the days of Noah and uh, 120 years, and the number 120 plays a key role in that. Bill Neesmith, handing the baton to you. Run, man, run. Hey, Kaz, thank you very much. I'm going to cycle back just a little bit on on, uh, the days of Noah, if you don't mind. We'll jump into, um, you know, the segment of the 120 cycle. Sure. Um, To be honest, my heart, I'll say wrestles, struggles, but aches because of what I see in the world. Um, I see... I see religion, frankly. I see liberty or liberality. I see confusion. Um, anywhere that I look in Scripture, I see the heart of Christ. And I never read where he sticks his finger in the face of a sinner and says, get right. I see him confronting the religious leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees, and overturning the tables and, and pulling out a whip twice. And I see him going after people that don't have a right heart. I see him lovingly and compassionately dealing with people who are broken. And yes, we can see in Mary Magdalene's story where he said, I have nothing against you, but he warns her. He says, but don't go back to where you were mm. or it'll turn out worse than where you, where you were before. So there's a warning, but he's not ugly about it. So what I'm going to say now needs to be um, heard in that light, please. Um, I, I, wrote a, I wrote a book, you mentioned it, Kaz. It, it, it was the result of a dissertation that I did, and, and it, it's, it's called Christians and Politics. Um, it's a time for engagement. And, and what, I, what I tried to do in that book was to share that it's important that we have the heart of David or even the heart of Joseph before we ever try to operate with the hand of Jehu or Elijah, Elisha or Shama. <laughs> Jehu wow. took down Jezebel. Jehu took a sword. Elijah cast fire and killed, killed prophets. Elisha did more than that. Deborah was a woman warrior mm. who fought the enemy face to face. And Shama stood in the middle of a bean patch and said, not one more foot. You see, so there are times when God calls for a Shama where God calls for a Jehu, where God raises up a Deborah. And Deborah, we know in Scripture, she hadn't even had to rise up above generals that should have done it in the first place. But it's important that we have the heart of David when we're dealing with what I'm about ready to tell you. David, David longed for God's heart. David subjected himself to the sovereignty of God when people around him were saying, take down Saul, you know you're anointed. David surrendered to the sovereignty of God. He says, even to the point where Saul came into a cave and to relieve himself and not knowing, but David's mighty men were hidden in that cave and they provoked David to go skulk around in the darkness and kill Saul. God has delivered Saul into your hand, they said. And David walked up to Saul and, 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 he reached over. He could have, but all he did was cut off the end of Saul's garment. There's a little bit of a humanity in him, and it says, I could have, but I didn't. And, and then Saul got up and finished his business and walked out of the cave, and David's heart was remorse because he had stepped across a line and, and st- almost uh, came against God's anointed. My, my. In, in, in a time that would not have been appropriate, in a time to take the sovereignty away from God and take it upon himself. 
he stood out over top of that cave and he called out to Saul and he said, Saul, my father, my father, I have sinned against you. Please forgive me. And because Saul or because David did that, it, I'll say it crushed or it broke or it softened the heart of Saul. And he said, no, David, it is me. I'm here to hunt you down. And it is me that has hurt you. So my point is, is if we, if we remain a good heart, we will draw the world to ourselves. It says that if Christ be lifted up, he will draw the world in. If we lift up the character of Christ that's inside of us, God will do amazing things. Now, this is what I wanted to say all of that for. I believe that the 120 is tied to the, to the days of Noah because and there's a lot, of, a lot of speculation and a lot of story, and you can read it out. Uh, Genesis chapter 6, verse 4 says that there were giants in the land, and they were the Nephilim. The Nephilim are significant because they were the they were the ones that had sexual intercourse with with women, human or yes. mankind, but females, and they propagated a perverted a gener- generations race. of uh, you would call them Nephilim or giant or just people that have let let's just say the word transhuman. That's the word that they're using these right. days. Right. And 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 scripture indicates, and you can read it in Genesis six chapter or chapter six verse four. Um, it it says that the the uh, the demons were. Uh, I'm sorry. Let me pause on that. Let me finish the context. Um, a vast, significant event that was tied to the flood was that culture had ignored the righteous standards of God. It says they were marrying and giving in marriage. We don't know what kind of marriages those were, but in those days there was perversion everywhere. There was a time when demons came and had sexual intercourse with women, and and we all know through history whether it's whether it's abortion or whether it's drugs that caused premature births or or stillborns. Whether now, now again, you've heard my heart about not sticking a finger, but in somebody's face. But we have we have cultures or sexual uh, cultures, sexual-based cultures, whether it's LGBT or whatever it is, that promote anything but the propagation of the human race. Mm. And what I mean by that, again, I'm not being ugly about it, but when you get two men together, they're not having a baby. Yes. If you get women together, they're not having a baby. If you have an abortion, there is no baby. If you take drugs, you will kill. And ge- We now are dealing with a culture that says, they thumb to God's standard. The Nephilim tried to pervert and destroy the ultimate, pure, perfect element of creation, which is mankind. And God said, this is a perversion that I cannot tolerate. I've created man to be propagated and to have dominion over the earth. There are two kingdoms in this world, and there's a kingdom of God and a uh, light and a kingdom of Satan or darkness. Adam gave that kingdom through submission to, frankly, the devil when he came and tempted him. There's a whole story. It's all covered in the book that I mentioned, um, uh, Christians and Politics. But the, the significant I wanted to say is our world is filled as the days of Noah with an attitude of perverting the propagation of mankind whether it's through global warming or population control, even China has turned back from their one-child mandate because they're realizing that they're killing their future. They're killing their culture. 
the vast amount of European nations in the world are now dealing with, and America is one of them, we are not producing enough children my. to propagate our culture. My, my, my. And if you draw that to the fine line at the end, mankind is dying because we have perverted the natural use of sex, the natural use of, of marriage, the natural use of what God intended to continue the greatest creation he's ever done, and that is mankind. Bill, 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 how remarkable. And my friends, you're listening to what Bill's saying, and in your heart of hearts, you know that he's right. And you're going, okay, that's, we, we've got ourselves into this position. How do we get ourselves out? The answer is we're not going to get ourselves out. Only God can do this. Yes. But he also brought us to a point where we have to acknowledge he, his power, and his love. Bill, we're going to talk more about this in the next segments, but one of the phrases that came to mind when you were talking about this, because, you know, I'm kind of a warrior at heart. You know, I'm kind of a fighter. I black belt stuff, and, uh, you know, I, I kind of enjoy the competition and taking out the uh, com- competitor and things like that. That's just who I am. So it's hard for me to look back and go, love this person, love this person. Uh, you know, but but in, in all in all honesty, that's really heart's God's heart cry. And the scripture came to mind, Bill: mercy triumphs over judgment. And you know, we want to have judgment on all, all these things. And God says, "Let me have mercy on them first to give them the last opportunity to turn their ways." And here we are in the United States and in the world, in Israel as well, where that opportunity God wants the opportunity for mercy to showcase. But then judgment comes. It's a, a challenging time, and I know you're going to spend some more time in the next segments about this as we delve into not only as it was in the days of Noah, not only into the cycles of 120s through Scripture, but also into your heart, my listening friend, to assess where you are and where God wants you and I to be. So Bill Neesmith and I will be right back. More Come Together San Diego with Cass Taylor is next on K-Praise. Come Together San Diego with Cass Taylor on K-Praise. Welcome back, my friends. Come Together San Diego. This is a remarkable two-hour show, if I don't say so myself, because it's not me, because of the guests and the co-hosts that I bring in. And this particular co-host is one such a remarkable man, and, and Bill Neesmith puts his foot on the ground and goes, come on, kid, stop it. Anyway, I'm going to say that, Bill, <clears throat> because you are a remarkable guy, and God has given you some nuances of Scripture that you're here to share with us today as it talks about, as Scripture talks about as it was in the days of Noah, and the number 120 repeats itself so many times through Scripture. Bill Neesmith, you did a wonderful job in setting the stage. Now lay it on us. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kaz, again, I uh, will jump into the 120. Um, again, in, in November of 2013, I found that there were seven significant periods of 120 year in length. The first one, it, well, if you look at it, if you've got, again, if you got a piece of paper, if you want to write them down, again, this year wasn't then, but it is now a significant year, 2021. What I found in November of 2013 was the Lord said, 1901. Take a look at that. That was 120 years ago this year. I'm going to end this radio broadcast with an explanation of why 2021 is significant. Mm. But I'm going to, going to go through 1901. 120 years before that, we're going to go to 1781. 120 years before that, we're going to go to 1661. And then we're going to end up 
and uh, that will go all the way back to 1541, which is five 120-year segments. Oh my. In the beginning of five, 1521, there's a, two significant events that I found. Uh, that is uh, that Michelangelo finished his painting at the Sistine Chapel, that painting being called The Last Judgment. That, that kind of captured me because it spoke to me. The, the Last Judgment was something that grabbed my heart. God is having a message that starts with, know that I'm sovereign, there will be a last judgment. I heard that, but then later on I studied again in 1541, and I found something else that had happened during that time in that year, 1551. I'm sorry, 1541. Yes. The wording, you know, we all know, we may have heard John Calvin. John Calvin was is credited to be the second greatest individual to the Protestant Reformation, only to Martin Luther. Martin Luther nailed his thesis to the door that said, salvation is by faith alone, not by the works of the church, not by the works of a laity, but by faith alone. Calvin, John Calvin came out and said, there is a sovereignty of God, and there's a, there's a, um, a message of sovereignty that God is sovereign, that God is powerful. Uh, Kaz, I heard you mention that you recently had a conversation about um, the differences between Calvinism and Armenianism, which yes. is that that profound question. There's a balance between the sovereignty of God and the and the will of yes. man. Yes, that was last uh, week's show, John by the Calvin. way, my listening friend. You could go into the archives and you can listen to that and listen to this one in the archives, and you're going to have a, a a a gifted time in studying the Lord. <laughs> go ahead. Well, thanks, God. The, the the significant event event that I want you to remember in 1541 was that Michelangelo finished the painting that told a picture of the return of Christ bringing the last judgment. And in that same year, the phrase Calvinism was coined, and that was that there was a, a, uh, a Protestant Reformation and what I call fundamentalism, that there was a fundamentalism to what God was talking about. It was a further, uh, a further casting of the Reformation, Reformation movement that now put into place Protestantism and everything that we know today that gave a birth later on to the Pentecostal charismatic moment. It started in 1541. Um, the, the next one I want to talk about, and I'm going to try to catch up pretty quick, is, um, and, the, and the main thing to grab out of 1541 is that God is sovereign. Write that on your paper. God is sovereign. Mm. If you jump 120 years ahead, Again, in this cycle of 120, you're going to come up to 1661. Um, I'm going to pause here because this is a sidebar. I want you to put this on your notes and remember it. It has been said that the church uh, moved from Jerusalem and headed headed east. Um, from Jerusalem, I'm sorry, it um, headed west. From Jerusalem, it went to Rome. Yes, the Vatican. From Rome, yes. Right. From Rome, it went to England. From England, it came to America. From America, some say it's going to go to China. And then from China, it goes back to Jerusalem. So remember that sequence. 1541 um, started in Rome. The next event is in England. 120 years later, we have what, what is known as the Corporate Act. And now one thing I want you to understand is God will give you prophetic messages where he clearly, succinctly 
tells you what's going to happen. Mm. But but sorry to say, sometimes and a lot of times, God gives you a gives a prophetic word in Scripture or something, only for the purpose of you knowing when it happens. You knew He told you first, meaning you didn't have it. You didn't know how to ingest it. You didn't know how to wrap your head around it beforehand. But man, when it happens, as history unfolds, oh my. you know that's exactly what he meant. It kind of reminds me of the prophets when they, when they, in the New Testament, they go, "This is that which was spoken of by the prophet of you know exactly. in the different because they had that revelation that God's is cyclical, and what happened then happens now, happens tomorrow." And ladies and right. gentlemen, boys and girls, Bill Neesmith is going to tell us about our todays and our tomorrows as he relates to this one twenty. <laughs> go ahead, Bill. Yeah. No, uh, my my point I want to get you is I'm not going to share anything that you're going to say, well, how, you know, 1541, Michelangelo paints something in the Sistine Chapel and Calvinism is like, how is that some big deal event? Well, now look back in history. We know that the Sistine Chapel and the and the last judgment painting of Michelangelo is a significant event. It has survived history. It has survived great things. We also know that Calvinism, that John Calvin had a message that transformed the world. We didn't know it then. They didn't see it then. But as you mentioned, this is what was spoken of before. Wow. God is sovereign. He knew that was going to happen. He made it. He allowed it. He defined it. The next thing I'm going to come up with is is, uh, is, is 120 years later, 1661. I'm going to race through these because I, I want to make sure that we cover some of this stuff. Um, let's see here. Let me make sure i'm on track okay so make yes sure in my notes 1541 to 1661 and then 120 years thereafter right um we're going to come up to um the corporate act okay the corporate act is what i call god's provocation the first one my mentions of 1541 we talk about god's sovereignty but how many know and seen in their own life that sometimes, for lack of a better description, God's give, God gives you a boot in the pants, <laughs> and he provokes you to do something. He provokes. Now, this is what I mean. Some people might have lost a job during this last year. But what, what it provoked them to do was to figure out what they want to do now. They may be going to school now, where they may not have ever been able to do that. So I need you to understand, and I want you to understand that, God did not create the circumstances, but he allowed certain things in your life to provoke you to do something that either, one, you didn't know you could do or had the opportunity to do, or you were not willing to step into it without letting go of something else. Oh, my. God will provoke you to do something. In the Corporate Act, what I mean by that is in 1661 in London, England, because of this struggle between the Anglican Church and the Protestants, the Martin Luther and Calvinism, they were shaking up the world, and the Anglican Church had an issue with that. And what they ended up doing was creating the Corporate Act that said that unless you have communion in the Anglican Church, you cannot hold a position of leadership in the government of any city or any corporation. And what I mean is it provoked our pilgrims, the, the Puritans. It provoked Christians of Protestant faith around the world to do something, and in this case, to get out of London, to get out of England, to look for a new land, to find a new place to live. So, yes, that did not mean a whole lot in 1661. Okay, so they passed a law that that uh, certain Christians can't um, can't lead in city government or can't run a corporation. 
By the way, that's part of our Constitution. That's why our founding fathers put that in there is no respecter of religion mm. because that's what they learned from London. So now we have where God is a provoking God. You have first a sovereignty, and in his sovereignty, he will provoke you to do something. So in this message overall, we find that God provoked people to, to make a change in their life. Um, it goes on, but in a, you'll find out that the pilgrims landed in, on November 11, 1620, just a little bit before this. But I think God looked down and said, you know what? You're not making a move into this new world as quick as I want you to. So um, we're going to London's going to have this corporate act that's going to provoke you to get on a boat and go to a new <laughs> land and find a new freedom. Oh, my, my. And Christians from all over all over Europe ended up in the free world and the new world because of a law that later on was repre- repealed, but it provoked them to do something different. Oh, my. My listening friend, I hope you're enticed by the things that Bill Neesmith is saying and that God has a character that he uses uh, systematically for you to understand his character, but also for you to understand the present and the future and the uh, absolute uh, truth that he is going to intervene in these things. So we spent some time getting to 1541, 1661. We've got a few more calendar things to go through and get ready to be have your mind blown because it's going to come up to present day times and it's going to blow your mind. So don't go away as Bill Neesmith and I come right back. This is Come Together San Diego, the live local show on K-Praise. More Come Together San Diego is just moments away. Come Together San Diego with Kaz Taylor on K-Praise. Welcome back, my friends. You know, it's comforting to know that God gives us ways to understand his character, his personality, and his plans. And if we can kind of tap into that thing, he gives us a real comfort to know that he also has a handle on our future. And uh, he gives different people different things to use as uh, the comfort level. And uh, he's given Bill Bill Neesmith, my co-host for this two hours, given him an uh, understanding of God's heart cry for doing things cyclically, that which was, is, and that which is, shall be. And he and Bill has been enticing us with some f- discoveries that he has made about the number 120 and also th- as it was in the days of Noah. I don't want to take much time, but just to get this back to him and to mention the title of his book again to you. His book is a remarkable book, and it's called Christians in Politics, and he didn't give you the full subtitle, but Christian and Politics, A Biblical Response. And the the full subtitle is The Bridegroom is Coming. It is time to get engaged. And, Bill, that is so true. It is time for us to get engaged in more ways than one. And God gives us signs and signals and months and years uh, to be able to comfort us to know that he's got his plan in our uh, in, in our reach. So, Bill, I'm going to have you continue on this. We spent some time getting uh, a couple years out of the way in, in this 120-year cycle, 1541 and 15 or 1661. I'm going to hand the baton to you, Bill Neesmith. Uh, yeah, Kaz, if you don't mind, I'm going to cycle back in case anybody just joined us. I love um, it. Uh, to the comment about the book, if you see the book, it's got a handshake. There's a statue somewhere. I saw a picture of it. And there's a handshake of engagement. And unless we engage with God, unless we engage with each other, unless we frankly engage with our 
our uh, co-workers or our, even our the people across the aisle in matters of politics, unless we engage with a handshake of engagement, we will not change the world. If we go at it with an attack, if we think we're Jehu, if God has not called us that way, if we have the heart of David, we can change the world. Ooh, we'll what I mean by that is sovereignty, that we trust God. David trusted God to make him king. Even though Saul was king, David exuded uh, the, the idea that he trusted God to be God. So for those that just came in, in in, uh, November 2013, I was doing a study. It led me to 1901. I felt like God said, as in the days of Noah, uh, what about that 120? Look at that. So I went 120 years before that. I came up to 1781. I went 120 years before that. I came up to 1661. And 120 years before that, I came up with 1541, the year 1541. I mentioned just now that... Michelangelo uh, finished the painting in the Sistine Chapel called The Last uh, Judgment. It was uh, depicting the return of Christ and the judgment of the world. In that same year, a man's message, John Calvin, became an institution, and the coined phrase Calvinism became real. 120 years following that, the Anglican Church felt the impact of Calvinism, or Martin Luther's second impact through John, John Calvin, the second voice of the Protestant Reformation. The Anglican Church in 1661 felt so threatened that they said that unless you hold a, unless you embrace the communion of the Anglican Church, you cannot hold a place of government leadership in any city, nor can you hold a place of authority and, and leadership in a corporation. And that led me to the first one, 1541, spoke of God's sovereignty. 1661, 120 years later, God spoke and said, let me tell you about provocation. I will provoke people to leave their comfort places. I will provoke people through, in this case, a government edict that says, basically, let a a whole lot of Protestant believing Christians a whole lot of people that didn't want to embrace Anglicanism, a whole lot of people that didn't want to embrace the current church of the day, God provoked them to say, it ain't comfortable here where you are. You need to look at a new place to live. And that fueled a migration or an immigration into into our country, America, into the North, North American continent. And that one single act in 1661 provoked a transformation of North America. It provoked Christians from all over Europe to say, well, we now know them looking back. It makes sense. There are the Puritans who said, I can't bow to the Church of Anglican, the Anglican Church. I can't bow to what they're asking me to do. I have to follow God. So sometimes you're going to feel like you're provoked to do something that's not comfortable, but God is allowing it to happen for your good because all things work together for good Mm -hmm. to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose is what scripture says. So you can trust in the sovereignty of God and you can trust that sometimes he's going to provoke you. And in that provocation, it's not going to be comfortable, but I guarantee you it's going to work out for your good. (laughs) So good. One thing. Yes, go ahead, Bill. Forgive me. No, I'm saying that's what you see. And I said a minute, I said in one of the last segments, I said, sometimes God speak something to you or allows you to see something in scripture or does something so profound that in the moment, like who would have really known that something was going to happen in 1541, but we can look back, you know, 500, uh, over 500 years and say, Whoa, that was an earth shaking event. Yes. 
Calvinism took breath. It changed. It it it, it took. It put a rocket to what Martin Luther started in the voice of John Calvin. Uh, we never really would have looked back in that particular day. Hey, honey, I'm reading the paper, and they just passed the Corporate Act or Corporation <laughs> Act. What a significant, profound event. No. But history, 400 years later, shows us that that was a profoundly important event. Yes, yes. We're yes. going to see that in the rest of these 120-year segments, that in the moment, in the day, in the moment in your life, you may not recognize something as this earth-shattering, profound visitation from God, but again— He's sovereign, and he will provoke. The next thing he's going to come up with is that he's going to ask you for a surrender. Wow. That means your way, not mine. Yep. Yep. Uh, could you imagine being on, on uh, one of the boats that landed in, in, uh, up in uh, New England states mm. at Plymouth Sound, Plymouth mm. Rock? Could you imagine what kind of trust in God's sovereignty. Now, I'm not saying these guys knew what I'm telling you about in 1541, but I'll guarantee you they learned a whole lot about the sovereignty of God, because God, that's that's his message. I am God, and I love you so much. I will take care of you, even when you feel like I'm pushing you through a door you do not know how to open. I will not let a door open that I, that I want shut, and I will not hold shut a door that I choose to have open. That's the God that you have. He yes. will provoke you into something, and, and faith covers all of this. If faith is present, you can know that God is sovereign and put it to feet. Oh and, you can, and if you have faith, you can believe that even when it feels like God's pushing you by the back of your shoulders and pushing you forward into an uncomfortable spot, you can know that you're not alone. Oh, my. And wouldn't you say that sometimes he uses events that you wouldn't even say necessarily are godly events? They may be... Uh, people coming after you or having ill will towards you or even, let's say, viruses that may be warfare kind of stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm being very serious. Sometimes we think uh-huh. these are negative things, but God goes, <laughs> the enemy thought to do this against you, but I turned his evil into good. And so right. oftentimes that's what's happening. As long as you have the confidence that God is who he says he is and he has been faithful and will continue to be faithful, then you have a level of security and confidence and peace. Bill Neesmith. Well, good, good point. Good, good point, Kaz. Look at Paul. What? I got to go to Jerusalem? What? <laughs> I got to go to jail? I got to sit here under some guy? And, and again, the heart of David was in Paul. Paul could have riled and raved and done all kinds of crazy stuff. He operated and acted like David and like Joseph yes. in jail. He ended up leading jail guards to the Lord. He ended up being known by the entire collection of guards, the Praetorian Guard, or not the Praetorian Guard, but the Roman Guard at his time. He ended up writing the New Testament from those same jail cells, a big massive amounts of it anyway. He ended up being able to connect to people. They ended up giving him his own apartment. He no longer had a cell because of the way he carried himself in his trial. So great point, Kaz. Um, Paul understood in the book of Acts that it covers a lot of it. And he alludes to it through some of his letters. He says, man, I'm changing the world right here from Rome. And they're feeding me three courses a day in a cot. (laughs) (laughs) My listening friend, I I know we've got a a break coming up. They they come fast, don't they, Bill? Um, Yes, they do. But but we want to – Bill has done a real nice job of uh, setting the stage for the concluding 
portion of this because he wants to take us into the consecutive 120s and see how God has been strategizing not only for the world, but for this nation, and not only for other people, but for YOU. So uh, I'm excited as, as Bill takes another a big step ahead of another 120 years and see what that has in store for then and now and tomorrow when Bell Neesmith and I come right back. This is Come Together San Diego, the live local show on K-Praise. More Come Together San Diego is just moments away. Now back to Come Together San Diego, the live local show on K-Praise with Cass Taylor. Hello, my friends, and the Bible says in Ecclesiastes, that which was, is, and that which is, shall be, because there's nothing new under the sun. And perhaps one of the reasons he said that is because once you can understand his character, God's character always comes through. And so once he gives you that confidence, then you can move into things that look like they're dicey, and you go, God's always come through, and he's going to come through again. So we have Bill Neesmith with us on this broadcast to share some of the cycles that God has shown him uh, in Scripture, and I want him to continue sharing these with you because they prove that God does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Bill, uh, I'm tracking with you and our listeners. If they've been listening since the beginning or throughout the show, they'll realize that there are some 120-year cycles that you're getting into, and uh, I'm captivated by the process I'm excited about the next sequence of 120 years. I'm going to hand the ball to you because you have uh, an idea where you want to end up so you can do a, a, <laughs> a summary statement at the end that makes total sense and will draw many, 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 many billions of people closer to the Lord, <laughs> Bill Neesmith. Yes, uh, Kaz, I want to uh, – you made mention that this is a 120-year cycle. And the thing that's interesting about this is before the flood – Mankind lived into the 930 years. Adam, Scripture tells us in Genesis chapter 5, that Adam lived 930 years. But if you look at Genesis chapter 5, you'll see that every single human, even even Noah's dad, Lamech, he died at 777 year old. He died five years before the flood. Right. So when Noah gets on the boat 120 years all of his founding fathers, everyone had just passed away. My. Um, that's important to remember. So when Scripture says, well, you know, someone tells you that, well, Adam lived 930 years. God said later on, after the, at the result of the flood, I will not tolerate man for another 120. It's important that our listeners understand that there has, quote, there has not been a man, a male, that has lived beyond the age of 116 years, 54 days. That was a Japanese man <laughs> named Jiraman Kimura. The only human being that ever lived a hundred, over 120 years was a woman. She lived 122 years. Her name was Jean Kilmet. She was a French woman. So when someone says God's law is not, or God's word is not true, I will not tolerate man for more than 120 years. He didn't say he wouldn't tolerate a woman. Because <laughs> one woman lived more than 120 years, and no one other than her has ever lived since the flood in recorded history hmm. more than 120 oh years. So that's the sovereignty of God saying, I will not tolerate it. Wow. So anyway, we're going to jump into this thing, and i got something to cover on that in a little bit later on. We'll close it up on the wrap. 
Okay, so there we go. Um, we, so we've, we've coming into a another time frame. This is time frame yep. where more traditional historical books would a, a embrace these things, particularly in uh, you know uh, American history and things like that. So yep. have your way, Bill Neesmith. Absolutely. We've gone from Rome to 1541. We've gone into England in 1661. 120 years later, we get into 1781. What happened in 1781? It was when General Cornwallis laid down his sword to the colonials and gave his sword of surrender to George Washington. In that one day, the focus left from London or England and shifted to the colonies and America was born in its inception. I say inception because the surrender was to our colonies, not to some predetermined already existing nation. That's right. Not some in other government. It was to the people, to the people, to the people. Right, right. In 1781, we learned the value and lessons of surrender. Because you see, when and I've covered it, God will show you his sovereignty. He will show you how big he is. He will govern you and guard you and guide you. He will then ask you and sometimes provoke you to do things that you wouldn't necessarily know the outcome for, but because he's sovereign, you can do it. And if you understand he's sovereign and he's provoking you someplace, you're going to have to step into a place of surrender. This next 120-year cycle, 1781, is when George, uh, General Cornwallis was fighting at Yorktown, Virginia, the colonies, and George Washington and a number of our other colony fathers they were fighting, and our friends, the French, came, and they took seized control of the Chesapeake Bay. And in one fell swoop, well, I say that, but in one act of history that took quite a fight, they were able to change the course of history and allow for an opportunity for a nation to be born. That battle in Yorktown lasted from September 28th to October 19th. It wasn't a short battle. It was harsh. But our French people, our French friends at that time, uh, there's a town in Olray, France, uh, in Pluvignay. I'm sorry, it's in Olray, not too far from Pluvignay, France. It's the, it's, you can go there now. It's called the Benjamin Franklin Pub. It's where Benjamin Franklin went to, Eng or to France to met with the king of France at that time and barter a deal for the French to join our revolution and help us against the British. Oh my. They helped us this day during this battle, during Yorktown, because they took control of the Chesapeake Bay, and they they, blo they locked off and blocked the supply chain to the British. And on, on that particular day, um, October 19th, General Cornwallis realized he was surrounded, he had no supplies, and he laid the sword down in an act of surrender, and the colonies were born in one day. Oh, my, my. I hope, my listening friend, that this is a word of encouragement to you, even in the time, I mean, you know, the the... the those who were battling on behalf of uh, um, newly birthing America, the, the odds were way, way against them, but they weren't really against them because God was on their side, because they had declared that they wanted to uh, be on God's side. So the United States of America was built and founded upon the godly precepts, and the Constitution of the United States showcases of those precepts. So the United States of America was born to glorify God. Bill? Absolutely. And, and, you know, some of our listeners, especially those who have a heritage in another country, uh, they'll say, everything is not about America, you know. And 
But we do need to understand that God rises up nations. God rose England up for a season in time, and they changed the world in their course. Their, the world was moved in their wake. England was a powerful place. God rose up Rome in the power that they had. And what I mean by that is God allowed. God does allow leadership. He allowed Nebuchadnezzar. So God does raise up people. God does raise and use nations. It, it is a fact, and it is a historical fact that can't be debated, that there are things that God has allowed America to do. And so when I say that the, the birthing of our colonies, the surrender to our colonies is a significant event, well, since then, we can surely see. Uh, we see that America became a nation. We see that America became pivotal in Israel becoming a nation. We see that America was pivotal in fighting and, and helping our allies in World War II, World War I. We can see that God had a plan in raising up a people who walked in liberty. We could see the Magna Carta in England that really set the precedent for what we have. We can see the Corporate Act, which laid the foundation for one of our amendments to our own Constitution, that you shall not respect one religion over another. I mean, there there is a pivotal thing that's happening through the use and the, the idea and the time of the American voice. Mm. But I challenge you, and I challenge all of us to remember that God doesn't tolerate foolishness. God doesn't tolerate sin. And as it is in the days of Noah, if we allow those kinds of sins to come into our country, and we know that these sins have, have existed in humanity all the way since and before Noah, but when they become the tipping point of culture, that's when we need to take a great heart of alarm. I mean, we've always had perversion. We've always had various things that I won't even mention here right. in our, in, on this broadcast. We know them. There's some of them are just too ghastly to even think about but or talk about. But they've existed. But when our culture, that's what the pivotal point of the days of Noah was, that perversion and certain situations, the devastation being in place impacted on the on mankind in the continuance of one of God's of actually God's cre most awesome creation, a, a creature, a being, a voice that would worship him in freedom. When God sees that's in danger, he then makes a change. Oh, my. My listening friend, speaking of tipping points, and this is going to be the close of this segment because Bill's got so much to do and so little time left in the last half hour or so of this broadcast. But you need to know that we, United States, if you were to look honestly at where the United States is, you realize we are at that tipping point now, and only God can uh, do his thing to intervene, and he uses his available people. And I just pray that you and I are his available people. We're getting into these 120-year cycles and I'm excited to see we're entering into the 20th century, <laughs> as in 1900s, uh, and what happens from there. So we're getting into current day history. And when you discover how God orchestrated things uh, in the early part of the 20th century and in the now, it's going to blow you away and give you every reason to be encouraged, but also every reason for you to be activated. Bill Neesmith and I will talk about that more when we come right back. You're listening to Come Together San Diego, the live local show on K-Praise. Don't just listen to it. Be a part of it at 866-577-2473. You're just moments away from more Come Together San Diego on K-Praise. Now, more of Come Together San Diego, the live local show on K-Praise. Here's Kaz Taylor. Well, hello, my friends, and we're winding up or winding down. I'm not sure which, but we'll 
find out as we move forward into this Come Together San Diego broadcast, a captivating and remarkable topic, as it was in the days of Noah and the 120 years that are tied to that theme. Bill Neesmith, uh, a powerful man, an author, and a speaker, and a teacher, and a lover of God, and a lover of God's kids, the author of a book called uh, Christians in Politics, a Bible um, response, and the subtitle is The Bridegroom is Coming. It is time for to get engaged. I love that, Bill. So uh, I want to hand it to you here so you can uh, make the multitude of points that you want to make, make to bring people to the point of going, God is in control, and I want to be activated by him. Bill Neesmith. All right, thank you, Kaz. You know, it, it, God doesn't just show us things to tick us. He doesn't show us things to let us get a glimpse of how awesome he is. He doesn't have that kind of an attitude about himself. <laughs> he knows he's awesome. He doesn't have to prove it. You know, um, What he does show us is, again, that he's sovereign. But every one of these little events are simply in this whole five-phase cycle of 120s that I'm showing you is, is showing, us, showing us a message that God's sovereign, that he may provoke us, that he has a plan, it calls for surrender, and the next one is going to be that when we realize he's sovereign, we address his provocation, we embrace his surrender to it, that it's time for an infilling. And what you'll find out is the next from, from 1781 when General Cornwallis surrenders to General Washington, which is the third item of the 120. The fourth one brings us to 1901. As I said at the beginning, 1901 is where my study in 2013 started when I felt like God saying, as in the days of Noah, mm. what about that 120, Bill? Uh, from the 1901 you're looking at, what happened before that? And again, just as a reminder, that's how I got to the next sequence of, of 1781 and the surrender, which led me to the three others. But in this 1901 event, I started looking at that, and I was studying the Pentecost, the history of Pentecostalism and the difference between Pentecostals and Charismatics. And, and I, I found out that on that particular day, or in that particular time, a guy named Charles Fox Parham had opened up a school in Topeka, Kansas. And I just mentioned about the idea of provocation. A time had come when uh, Mr. Parham told his students, he had anywhere, I think some history say 43 or 45 students in his class, in his school, in a, in a very, uh, very large uh, three-story mansion that he had rented out. He was leaving town, and he says, okay, students, while I'm gone, I want, you to, I want you to look at Scripture. I want you to find out what Scripture says about uh, the evidence of this baptism of the Holy Spirit. And some have said that this was the, the result of this was the first time that anybody spoke in tongues since Pentecost, and that's not true. That sounds good. It sounds awesome. But if you look at a book by Jeffrey or Jeff Oliver, He's got a three-volume book. It's Pentecost to the Present, and it's a three-volume set, and he covers some profoundly crazy, crazy good kind of stuff, crazy uh, facts about how the Holy Spirit and the evidences of, of infilling have been all through. They've never stopped. Cessationism is not real. It did not. They did not stop. They did not stop with the disciples, but I, I digress. So on this 1901 event, the story, the background, as Parham's out of town, his students are coming along, and, and uh, again, the theme of this particular 
your segment is an infilling. They didn't know it was going to happen. Nobody ever saw that, hey, wow, did you look in the paper at uh, Topeka, Kansas, 1901? The world's going to be different now. They Only we, through hindsight of history, can look back and see how significant this event is because while he was away, when he came back, it said that they showed him what they had, and they basically said that, well, the evidence of the infilling of the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. So they went to what they call a prayer tower, and 24-hour prayer was started. There was always somebody in that chapel. There was always somebody in that room, and they were praying, Lord, show us deeper things. Show us deeper things. They ended up on January 1st of 1901. A woman named Miss Agnes, um, her first name, uh, started speaking in tongues. She was 30-some years old. While they were praying, as it happens, while they were praying, she said, I feel like I should have you lay hands on me oh because I want the infilling of the Holy Spirit. So the students gathered around her, and they laid hands on her, and they just started praying and asking the Lord to just answer. And she started speaking in tongues, speaking in an unknown language. It wasn't, they were all so stunned, it didn't happen to them, but about six or eight days later, it hit all of them. And all of them started speaking in tongues. There was one particular moment in that particular school that the Holy Spirit hit them so hard that they started harmonizing in all of their individual <laughs> prayer languages. And the harmony was, was to them, they said it was the most precious and beautiful voice. We could not have created it ourselves. My, my. And, and the thing is, I want you to get out of this 1901 event. Out of this event in 1901, uh, uh, the Azusa Street came out of this. The Welsh Revival came out of this. You can read history. They all heard and saw and came to Parham to find out what was going on. So everything you know now about Protestantism, I'm sorry, Pentecostalism, now the difference between, in a nutshell, the difference between a Pentecost and a Charismatic. Pentecost said, I'm getting out of my church, I'm going someplace else, and we're going to gather with people that, that have the same belief. Pentecostals basically left the current framework of the church. They didn't leave Jesus. They didn't, you know, they, they just said, we got a new thing. We got a new message. We got a new uh, revelation. We're going to get together with like-minded people. And they started what we'll call a new work. Charismatics stayed in their churches. They still sought the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They still sought the moving of the Holy Spirit, but they stayed in their churches. And in a nutshell, that's the really the only significant difference between a charismatic and a Yes, yes. Is some kind of stayed in, some moved out. And each one uh, had a, a were playing a part of God's plan to expand His church and bring unity to the body of Christ. Absolutely, yeah. Neither one is wrong, because <laughs> I mean, I know people in all denominations that love God and and are fully seeking and chasing after what He's doing. And frankly, I believe that in the last days we're going to need uh, every storefront church, every oh, so big building church. I'll call them big box. We're going to need every steeple church. We're going to need every single structure. And the reason I believe that is because one particular day in in, uh, in, uh, in Columbus, Indiana, I was driving through town and I was on my way to work and I passed this church and I passed that church and I went by another church and it was the First Baptist of this and the Nazarene of that. And, mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It was yes. all these churches. And I said, Lord, is, is this the, really the way that you uh, intended for the church to be represented in all these different flavors and forms? And what I was really feeling at that point, a disconnectedness. And I, I know with everything that is in me, what he said was, when I do what I'm going to do, I'm going to need every one of these buildings. Wow. 
And wow. that's where we're headed now. Oh, Bill, I, I, you, you threw my heart. That's exactly my heart cry as well. That is what we're getting into yep. now. Wow. Yep. Yep. We are, we are in a place where we need to figure out what God's doing and quit trying to figure out what we want to get done. And that's part of the surrender piece. That's part of, that's what will lead to the infilling is, again, remember that God is sovereign. Remember that he may provoke you to do something that you didn't have planned. Remember that you must surrender in everything that he does because sovereignty requires submission. And when you get those three in line, I'll guarantee you there's a place of infilling. Oh, my, my. I'll tell you, Bill Neesmith, that more than you know, that uh, rends my heart. If you were to look in uh, one of the carry areas of my Bible and, you know, kind of a little flap there, my Bible is pretty heftily marked up. But there's another book that's marked up in there, and it's called Azusa Street by Frank Bartleman. And I'll tell you what, this this has been such a, a part of my heart to see what God was doing in the in the way that he dealt with Azusa Street and the, what he was setting up for in the now. And it's remarkable. You know, William Seymour, he, 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 kind of like he's a friend of mine. Charles Parham is kind of like he's a friend of mine. In fact, I spent uh, over a week with his granddaughter, Roberta Parham, uh, in Washington, D.C., and we got to stay in her prayer area and uh, got to, she gave, I mean, she, she was there uh, on the couch as a young, young child when these big leaders of leaders were meeting and discussing what God's doing through the Holy Spirit. And so, I, I mean, I was uh, immersed in that. So I'll tell you what, my, my heart really, <laughs> I know that then the things that happened then are uh, in- instrumental for us today. My listening friend, I hope this is stirring you because and you'll have other history that is important to you as well. And you're going to see that God has been moving you forward into these present times and equipping you like it's beyond your imagination. But it's time for us to take a commercial break. And I know that you're geared up to do a closing statement that will boggle the mind and heart. So any th- quick comment you want to make before we go into the break? Uh, I've got a lot of comment, but I don't think I can make them quick. <laughs> okay. So. Well, well, practice. Uh, maybe you'll have to speak them in tongues and I'll have to interpret for you. (laughs) (laughs) you My my friends, Bill Neesmith and I will be right back. More Come Together San Diego with Cass Taylor is next on K-Praise. Now, more of Come Together San Diego, the live local show on K-Praise. Here's Cass Taylor. And here I am back with Bill Neesmith, my co-host for this entire uh, two-hour show on Come Together San Diego, a remarkable topic, dealing with as it was in the days of Noah, so, so shall it be in the time of the coming of the Son of Man in these last days. Guess what? We are in those days now, and also God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So Bill has been showing us 120-year increments that have truths in them that will prepare us for the things we are uh, faced with now and the things that God wants us to uh, govern with him and rule and reign with him for a a thousand years. So this is the time. I don't want to take any more of Bill's precious time. Bill Neesmith uh, and his insights on as it was in the days of Noah and the author of the book, Christians in Politics, A Biblical Response. The bridegroom is coming. It is time to get engaged. Bill Neesmith. Hey, thanks, Kaz. I'm not sure how much I can get fit into this last segment, but I'm going to do my best. Um, Everything that I've shown you here, if it fits in Scripture, then it's real. I've given you history of man. I've given you 1541. I've given you 1661, 1781, 1901. None of these are in themselves biblical events. 
but they've got a point to biblical to to a precedent or a law or a principle in scripture or they're not quite tapping into what God is doing. By that I mean, if you look at the disciples, if you look at their lives, if you look at how they engaged and interacted with Jesus Christ, this is how what I'm showing you today lines up to them. And this is what I believe the Lord's going to tell us to do. If you look at 1551, we talk about um, God's sovereignty. 1541? 1541, yes. yes. God's sovereignty was revealed and expressed in the perfectness of Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but yours be done. If you go then, what happens after that is what we see in 1661. It's provocation. Here now Jesus is dead on the cross, and the disciples are provoked to search their hearts and to find out, what, do I go back to fish? Do I run? What do I do now? I'm provoked to do something. I've got the spirit of fire inside of my belly, as Jeremiah said, but what do I do? So their life was provoked to find something. The next thing is the surrender. They went to the upper room. That was what was surrender was the theme of 1781 when Cornwallis laid down the sword, the principle of surrender. The next 120 segment. They went to the upper room, our disciples. The Lord's disciples, and they surrendered, and they sought. Like Parham students, they sought. What do we do? How do we apply? How do we walk into this thing? The result was an infilling. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit hit them like it did Parham. That's our 1901 analogy. So in the lives of the disciples, you see a warning and God's sovereignty. Jesus said, I'm going to die, guys. I'm leaving. And Jesus exuded the supremacy of superior our sovereignty by surrendering, not my will but thine. That provoked after his death, it provoked the disciples to search. They went to the upper room in an act of surrender. The result was an infilling. So now you say, Bill, what's the fifth thing that happened to the disciples? Oh, my. They received a warning. Mm. They were provoked. What do I do now, God? What do oh, I this what is do, so do good, man? Bill. Come on, come on, come third, on, come the on. The third thing is surrender. Then they got infilled. They they met, and the fire hit them, just like Parham students. The next thing that happened is on the day of Pentecost when Peter stood up and said, What you have seen here now is what the Spirit of God has showed us, what the fathers have said in Scripture. This man you killed is the Son of God. And great revival started out, and the whole city of Jerusalem, the courage, the wimpiness of Peter turned into fire, <laughs> and they stood up. What's going to happen in, the, in 2021 is a fire of correction is going to happen in the world. Well, my, let me just say right now, there's, as you look at the church, they're kind of like the wimpy part right now. We as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and God's saying, bolster yourself. I've got things for you to do. We're right there, Bill. We're right there. And Kaz, it's going to happen quick. And what I meant by they're going to we're going to need steeple buildings. And what I mean by that is what we have critically looked in our please hear my heart. Charismatics and Pentecostals on those who are believing they receive the greater new things of God, sometimes in our pride, we look at those people that may not see it yet, those, that, that, that kind of church. We're going to have to get in a place of surrendering to the Holy Spirit and what he does so that in the body of Christ we start speaking in love with each other and start walking in a unity. Oh, absolutely. So what's going to happen in 2021 is you're going to see what happened to the disciples. They rose out in power, and God took them and changed the world through them. What I mean, what I, I don't know, like I've said before, we only know what happened that's in right. 1901, and that's yeah. why it was significant. But you've got the patterns. The God gave you the patterns, Bill. Yes. Right. Yep. So the next pattern, the next moment is a moment of correction. Frankly, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, and the modern-day organizations 
got a correction. I'm also believing that correction is going to come to our political structure. I'm a man of politics. I, I am a Christian, but I am also a very patriotic person. I believe that one of the greatest outcomes that's going to happen in the next, I'll say, so, I'll say somewhere around Rosh Hashanah, you're going to see a shakeup that's going to change this nation. Well, say that again. Say that again. Rosh Hashanah is going to be September, October. Yep. Sometime around September, October, you're going to see something happen in Washington that's going to shake this nation to its core. Uh-huh. I mean, in a positive and a negative way. Well, yes. Yep. You're remarkable. Going I'm going to let you continue this thought, but I'm, let me just say, I got there a different way than you did, but it was a scriptural way, too, as I looked at the feasts and festivals and the time frames like that. My listening friends, pay close attention. You're going to hear other people who have different points of view come to the same conclusion because they have the same word and they have the same Holy Spirit. Okay, Bill Neesmith. Well, and again, in word, you're going to see correction, you're going to see repentance, and you're going to see awakening. Is it going to happen in 2021? No. Uh, Parham didn't change the world in what happened in 1901, but what happened in 1901 was the seed that changed the world. Mm. What's going to happen this year is not going to be this fix-all moment where everybody knows what 2021 was going to be about, but I'll guarantee you, based on what I'm seeing here and based on what I've seen in history and based on what I see in the principles of the disciples' lives, America is going to be used again to bring something new to the world. Oh, my. And oh my. God is going to move powerfully. That's so so amazing. It, and it follows a cycle, too. It's follow, you know, the birth of this nation and then, you know, the, the empowerment of Holy Spirit in this nation. And now there's a level of, what do I say, uh, activation. Activation. I mean, we, we've, got, we've got the stuff poured into us. Like we've, God says, I want you to buy oil. And so we've been buying oil. Believers have. Now he says, expend that oil because that light needs to shine. Bill, we've right. got two minutes left in this segment. I want you to bring this to a close and leave a, a statement for our listeners. I, I tell you what, you've already pr- done the provocation. It's time for us to uh, buy into this wholeheartedly and see where God takes us. Bill Neesmith. Well, I've, I've, got, I've got two minutes, and what I'm going to tell everybody that's listening, you need to hit your knees. You need to find out what God is doing. You need to ask and act and pray like Parham students did. You need to act and act and pray like like the disciples did in the upper room, something significant, and it could be war. If you remember during the Desert Storm Wars, this nation went to its knees. If you remember during 9-11, this nation went to its knees. I'm not saying something devastating is going to happen, but something is, according to this principle, something is going to provoke us to look deep and look hard and surrender and get ready for an infilling of something new. There is a pattern here, and we can find out what it is if we're willing to find out. If you're willing to search, it says in Proverbs, it says, it's in Proverbs 25, 2, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it is the glory of the noble to find it out. If you want to find out what God's going to do in 21 or 2021 this year around, around Rosh Hashanah, you're going to have to start praying and start interceding. It's going to have to be the saints that come together because he's going to get ready for it. He's getting ready for it. We need to get in line. That's right. Wouldn't you say also he's going to get ready for it, but we are his kids and we need to be equipped and prepared to whatever he says for us to do. We need to be obedient and obey quickly. 
So, Bill, well, I'm going to have you, we got to take one minute, and I want you to declare over our listeners God's spirit of what he's been stirring you in. Take that one minute and declare that. And my listening friend, then we have to go, but I want you to pay close attention to what Bill Neesmith has to say right now. Well, Heavenly Father, I just speak right now a peace, a rest, and a confidence in your sovereignty. You are in control. And yes, Jesus tried to warn his disciples, you better get ready because it's about to get crazy. And they didn't listen, so provocation had to happen. But we can get ahead of this thing, and we can stand on the wave and not on the back end of it. So I speak peace. I speak grace, grace to know what to do, how to do it, and when to do it. I ask that you would bless them with all spiritual insight and power, word of knowledge, alignment, favor, grace, that they would be able to see and understand the glimpse of what I've been able to see. But you have so much more, Father. Help us all see, because together we can see it all. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. My listening friend and Bill Neesmith, thank you for joining me, listeners, but thank you also, co-host Bill Neesmith, for stirring us up and giving us some truths and opening our eyes and open our awareness and open our activation. My listening friend, thanks for joining Bill Neesmith and I on Come Together San Diego. And you know we're going to have like-minded stuff next week as well, so stay tuned. Until then, God bless you from Bill Neesmith and the entire Cape Praise crew. God bless. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining Kaz Taylor and his many friends, including you, for Come Together San Diego. Join us again next week as we explore what unity in the body of Christ sounds like within this county and beyond on Come Together San Diego. Tell a friend, tell a neighbor, tell a co-worker, and then let's all come together San Diego next Saturday from 5 to 7 p.m. on K-Praise.